Good morning, everyone. My name is Naya Swami Diksha, and this is Naya Swami Gyandev. And we'd like to welcome all of you and thank you for coming for service. I'd like to welcome especially those who are guests of the Expanding Light, and those who are visiting here for the first time, and those who are watching us online. I'd like to start by reading from Rays of the One Light, Weekly Commentaries on the Bible in the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Topic of this week, Why Tell God Anything When He Knows Everything? Why Offer God Anything When He Has Everything? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches as the ideal prayer, one that addresses very human demands to God. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, just before suggesting this prayer, Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of. Before ye ask him, why then his recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up in acceptance of his abundance. Don't pester God as though pulling constantly on his sleeve to get his attention. Approach him with the confidence of a child in its parent. And in that spirit then, ask him lovingly, but with complete trust, as though demanding your birthright, and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For for you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings, that you attune yourself to him in turn more clearly. For only by such clarity will you be able to receive perfectly what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him, not because he needs anything from us, except, as Yogananda said, our love, to complete his love for us, but because by self-giving we expend our awareness from its confinement in the little ego, 
outward to infinity. Those who, pers- who partake of the nectar remaining after sacrifice, says the Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter, attain to the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices, never truly succeeds in enjoying even the blessings of this material world. How then could he attain happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Welcome, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed your extra hour of sleep last night as we went off daylight savings time. And for those of you who didn't remember, and you came here an hour early, you got an extra hour of meditation, so that's good too. And I'm sure that the uh, yoga teacher trainees all spent their extra hours studying, and that's good too. I'd like to share with you a brief prayer, almost an affirmation from Whispers from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda. I will sing a song uninfluenced by the voice of any other. I will offer thee my own pristine heart melodies. I will sing thee a song unheard by any. I have nurtured this song child myself. Now I bring it to thee for higher training. I will offer thee no intellectual, premeditated art discipline song. What I offer thee are the wild songs of my heart. I will offer thee not civilized, emotion-packed music or artfully cultivated song flowers, but wild blossoms that grow on the high hills of my soul. These three weeks that we're currently in the middle of the readings of three readings on prayer are just some of my favorites in the Raise the One Light because it becomes so personal. And last week, I really enjoyed Jaya talking about that, the topic, the right way to pray. And this summation was with desperation. I mean, how many of us can't relate to that at times when we go, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. And then, of course, the the classic one, which is, Lord, just get me out of this one, and I promise I'll never do it again. (laughs) And this week, why why tell God anything when he knows everything? And Why offer God anything when he has everything? This is a question I think we all come to at some point earlier or later in our lives as we start to think, yeah, why why would I need to say anything if God knows it already? It's one one of those questions that makes you go, yeah. Like when you first start to think about the water in your house and some of it goes 
to the kitchen for kitchen things and some of it goes to the bathroom for bathroom things. And how does it know? (laughs) Well, I was looking for the answer to this and I was in in meditation, not to the water thing, but (laughs) I'm still trying to figure that one out. But to the prayer thing and... uh, I was meditating and sort of flipping through the Akashic records, which uh, I don't don't recommend. They're a little tedious. But I came to one very interesting part that explained uh, explained about prayer and and how God created us as human beings and how that all fits in. So I thought I'd share that with you. Well, of course, as we know, and as said in the reading today, God wants the absolute best for all of us. And probably it was thinking about, wow, that's a lot of individual work I have to do with all these people running through each person and figuring out what's the best for each person and giving it to them. I think I'll automate this. (laughs) And so we came up with some ground rules for prayer and for you know, drawing divine grace into our lives. And, and the first one was that, that he's not going to answer just any little whim. I mean, we want one thing and the next, next moment we want something else. And this would be very infuriating, not to mention confusing for everybody. I mean, think about it. Oh, that rain yesterday was so nice. I think I'd like more rain today. And then, no, I'm going out for a walk this afternoon. I'd like sunshine. And then, no, California really needs more rain. Let's have rain. And think of all these people doing that. You know, daylight is going to be like a, a flickering neon light that's just, just about to go out. It'd be, it'd be chaotic. So, so instead, God said, no, they need to discipline themselves and really align their hearts and minds with what they seek. That's the way that they'll be able to draw my grace. That's the way they'll be able to draw answers to their prayers. So that was, that was part one of prayer. And part two was, yeah, now if I force them to really discipline their minds that way, they're going to have to think through their desires real carefully. And really get them clear, because, you know, it's only, it's only when you have to express something in words, whether out loud or in writing, that you really know what you think. Or in this case, you really know what you want. So I'll, I'll force them to go through that thinking process. Then they'll have the clarity to really pray effectively, draw my grace, get the answers to their prayers. Great. He decided to call that prayer. Then... And this is the brainwave. God realized that by forcing us to do this, forcing us to go through the process of clarifying our desires, clarifying what we're going to pray for, that we would have to also take into account the consequences of getting those prayers answered. And then through the use of our natural common sense, we would know which prayers we should make and which prayers we shouldn't make. And then everything would happen for the best. The process would be automated. God wouldn't have to take care of it individually. And it would all work out just 
fine. But I think you see the problem with that. It's that two-word phrase, common sense. <laughs> that, and God saw the problem with that too. And he saw that there was, although the, his engineering design department had it right, that there was a little problem in the manufacturing arena and that not everybody was getting the common sense that they needed to, to pray the prayers that they should pray so that they would get what's actually best for them. So God decided to fix that. And instead of doing the right thing, God took the easy way out. <laughs> you know, instead of, instead of giving us infallible common sense, going back to manufacturing and, and correcting the manufacturing process, instead, he used what's known in the construction trade as a shim. <laughs> or in the computer programming world as a kludge. Basically, he put a patch on a broken system. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we got the law of karma. <laughs> Instead of knowing in advance what the right thing is to do, we get to find out afterward what the right thing would have been to do. But you know, this really is the, kidding aside, the, the, the purpose of the, the method of prayer, really, to why do we need to tell God anything? It's, it's, it's we who need to do the telling. It's not God who needs to hear what it is we want to tell. And we do need to clarify not just our desires, but clarify our intentions. What direction am I going to put my energy out in? It's like prayer is, the, you could say, the, the forerunner of our direction in our life and forcing ourselves to clarify what, it, what it, we want in our lives help us, helps to give us a very specific direction and helps to align our hearts and minds with that direction and helps to, again, open up the doorway that divine grace can come into our lives. But there's more than that as well, because really beyond that, just what, what we want in our lives, what we need in our lives, we have legitimate needs. It's also about making a connection with God. Because this is what our souls want, is we want that connection with who we are. And to connect with God is really to connect with who we are. And that prayer can be a wonderful vehicle for taking us in that direction and deepening our connection with God. And that this is really what God has in mind as well, to deepen the connection and to get us into a position where we're more easily able to offer ourselves to God or offer whatever we can of ourselves to God, because we hold on to a good bit of it. I know that, that every morning I wake up and say, God, my life is completely yours. 
And then I spend the rest of the day trying to take it back, piece by piece. (laughs) But it's a process. It's a process that we all go through. And to deepen that connection where we feel that this is not us here and God there, but it's, it's God within us, God with us every moment until our life just becomes a prayer. You read the, the stories of, of saints who have gone through that process of their life becoming a prayer. One of my favorite stories of this is The Way of a Pilgrim, which if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's the story of the, the prayer life of a Russian peasant not that long ago, a couple hundred years ago, who heard the phrase at, in, in church that we must pray without ceasing. And he wanted to know what that was. What did that mean? How can you possibly pray without ceasing? And he went from priest to priest in the Russian Orthodox Church to try and get an understanding of that. And finally he found a starets, essentially a guru at a, at a monastery who could help him with this. And the starets gave him the Jesus prayer to repeat, which has many different forms, I'm told, by Russians who know. But the one I'm familiar with is the shortest form, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. And this, this peasant just began repeating it and repeating this prayer over and over again, at first out loud and then softer and then more silently. And he'd repeat it for a hundred times and then a thousand times. He would keep going back to the starets for his next round of instruction on how to go deeper. And finally, this prayer just began to be alive inside of him. He didn't repeat the prayer anymore. The prayer repeated itself. And he would go to bed with that prayer happening in his mind. He would sleep with that prayer happening. He would wake up with the prayer happening. It was happening in every moment of his life. And he just felt such bliss, such upliftment from this prayer. He didn't want to be around other people because other people talked and they made him talk and he didn't want to talk. He just wanted to be with this prayer because this was such a deep, deep connection with God and it was his vehicle for for being able to offer more and more of himself because that offering is so important that second part of today's topic why offer God anything when he when he has everything I know it's like the the classic you know father's day question what do you buy for the guy who has everything you know and that again it's just, it's not what God needs uh, it's well, in a way, it is, as as it said in the reading, that God has everything except our love, and that that is what God is longing for, and that love is ours to give or to withhold. And what we often don't necessarily understand it is in in the giving of it that we rise, that we rise into a deeper and deeper connection with God. I was listening just the other day to a story uh, that Swami Kriyananda told of when he was a boy, young boy in Romania. And he uh, liked to play soccer, football over there. 
And uh, they lived in a little enclave of, of foreigners who worked for the oil company. But uh, some, a few of the local boys came and played with them also. And these boys were from poor families. They were from the, the slum area of the town. And uh, they took Swami, it was not them Swami, he was Don, but they took Swami to their home. When he saw how they lived in such extreme poverty, they had window openings, but no glass in the openings. It was just, just newspaper to cover the openings to keep out the, the cold, cold weather. And it was very, very dismal, Swami thought. And so he, inv- he would invite these boys over to his house. And they went for food and games, and he would give them toys, uh, his toys, and give them the love that all the love he could because he felt such sympathy for them. And one day, uh, these boys actually cornered Swami. They took him into an enclosure, locked the gate, and were going to beat him up out of hatred for him. And it turned out that they never really got up the got up the courage or got up the initiative to beat him up and he was able to simply walk away. But he felt he said he felt that his heart was beaten up because he'd given love to these boys and all they'd returned to him was hatred. He was so hurt. And he realized later that he hadn't he'd only given he hadn't given them an opportunity to give back that there was no channel for them to get back and they were essentially put in the place of of welfare recipients and he'd he'd taken their dignity from them he'd taken their self-respect from them by doing that and he realized, he said, that the best way to give is to find a way in which the other person has a way to give back. If not to the giver, then in some other direction, but some way to reciprocate. And I think really that's what God has done with us, is that we have the blessings of God in our lives. We have the spiritual teachings in our lives, the techniques we have many of us have, have the guru in our lives. It's wonderful things. But, but at the same time, we need to give back. Not because God needs it, but because we need it. To complete the cycle of giving and receiving. The Bhagavad Gita talks about that. It said, said the devotee needs to give back to the universe. Give back to spirit as a means of completing the cycle so that the cycle will continue. Just like we need to, to take the water from a spring or the spring will dry up, we need to reciprocate for our own growth so that, so that we can rise. And this giving can come in many forms. Of course, the thing that, as the reading said, the thing that God would most like us to give is our love. Well, you know, we all have our days. 
And in fact, some of us, you know, sometimes don't feel a close enough connection to God to feel that love, to really have anything to offer back. And one of the things I love so much about the Bhagavad Gita is there's always a fallback position. There's always an alternative. One of my favorite parts of the Gita is where Krishna gives us a number of alternatives. If you can't do this, then try that. Let's read, read these verses. Immerse your consciousness in me alone. Direct all your discrimination toward finding me. Beyond any doubt, then, you shall come to me. If you cannot observe thoughts in the contemplation of me, then practice the techniques of yoga intended to help develop concentration. If, however, you find yoga practice too difficult, then perform every action in the thought of me. By this means also shall you achieve final success. But if, even while active, you cannot think of me, then give me your intentions. There's always a way. And when we can't wrap our minds or hearts around the more abstract things, the things we can't actually seem to, to bring in a, in, a, in a concrete feeling way into our lives, there's still one more. And there's one more that every one of us, every person on the planet can do if they can breathe. Anybody who breathes can do this, which is to say we can offer our energy up the spine. And those of us who are practicing yoga have more outlets for that, more techniques to help us get hold of the energy, have more energy that we can offer and literally offer it up the spine. And this really is offering to God. It feels like, oh, this is just in me, right? But God is in me. And God is, God is dwelling more palpably in the higher regions of our body, in the form of the higher chakras. And when we offer our energy up the spine with gratitude, with appreciation, with whatever love, we can muster. We are really making an offering to God. And in that process, our consciousness is rising. And we can think of this in two ways. We can think of it, I'm doing this, I'm accomplishing this, look at what I can do with these techniques. And it's all us doing it. And we can do that. And we can do a lot with that technique. But we'll reach a plateau. Or we can't go any higher. Because we're, allowing, we're, we're relying only on our own willpower. On our own capacity. But instead, if we practice in partnership with God. In appreciation of all that we've been given 
and a joyful expectation of all that is to come. What we're doing is we are then magnetizing ourselves to draw God's grace and purifying the heart so that we can receive that grace more fully. And that's what telling God anything is about. That's what offering God anything is about. It is opening ourselves and magnetizing ourselves so that we can receive grace because it's that grace. And really, grace alone that is going to take us to the ultimate, that will take us to union with God. May we all reach that place.